0: Wes's adventures with IP tables? What happened?
1: Ooh. Uh, no, I just I just had a, a machine running some old monitoring software. I need to just, it's just terrible. I'd love to kill it, uh, but it's the thing receiving SNMP traps right now. Uh, but it doesn't use, I mean, it like wraps net SNMP, but it doesn't use SNMP trap D. So it wasn't that, I couldn't just have it stop listening or I couldn't set up my own proxy without having to take it down for some times. But I was able to use IP tables with the dash dash T. Uh, which i'd never used before and uh then that sends it sends it over to a a secondary host which then does a a uh pre-routing rule on it to change the where it's addressed to which then sends it off to my actual host where i'm going to capture all of these so i know you know hey what's actually hitting this machine but i was really it was like two two commands it was really easy i didn't have to oh i know it no downtime wes you had me at
0: ip tables this is Linux Unplugged, episode 190 for March 28th, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's converting file systems in real time. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. Keep Uh, your hands off my file system. (laughs) I know, I don't jest. There's actually a few file system things coming up today, but first, we're going to get through some updates. There's a project that's been on the back of my mind for months that we haven't talked about. Ooh, saving it. a big, huge changeup with FreeNAS this week. We're going to talk about that, kind of fit in with some other topics that we have coming up down the road, just some overall stuff. Really kind of like major changes for a few projects we talked about. Then, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm very excited about this. Towards the end of the show, we're going to spend a little bit of Wes's money. Yeah, Yeah, Wes, Wes has entered that Should have left my wallet at home. <laughs> you know, we've all been there. Like, uh-oh, I think it's time for a new laptop. Yeah. I got to get a new computer. And it, this can be like a multi-month search. Sometimes it can be a couple of day search, depending on your situation. And so this week... Wes is on the search for the ultimate Linux machine. We're going to find out what his requirements are, and then our panel of Linux experts, the Virtual LUG, will chime in with their ideas on what might be a fitting machine. And there happens to be some new Linux hardware releases coming hey. very soon that may fit. We'll talk about those. We all of that to go through, plus kind of a kind of an out there futurist kind of idea about how maybe we could. Uh, sort of take Linux and mobile Linux to the next level, and okay. some really, like, taking some low-end machines and just giving them huge upgrades. So we'll talk about that uh, in, a, in a little while, too. So we got, I'm awesome, got some Jeff. good hardware stuff, got some good file server stuff coming up, got some huge project changes that people need to know about, like, stuff that's, like, relevant to all of our interests. So I think it's going to be a great show, Wes. So let's get started by bringing in that virtual log. Hello, yeah. time-appropriate greetings, virtual log. Hello, guys.
1: Hey. Hey. Hey, greetings. Hey.
0: <inaudible> Hi. Whoa. Hello, holy! That was that was that was a that moment. That was a moment right there. So Wes, uh, if we're going to talk about hardware that might work for you this week, we got to start with the Zero Terminal, a tiny Linux PC that you can build using a Raspberry Pi and a smartphone keyboard. Look, Look at how cute that is! It is super cute. Called the Zero Terminal, it's an all-in-one handheld computer that features a 3.5 inch screen, and it gives you remarkable portability with a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, you got HDMI out. You can put a big old battery in there to run this thing.
1: I'm Does it have you. a tab key? That's
0: what I want to know. Do. Does it have an escape key? That's what you yeah, really that want. Yeah, and it's got a video. That's always a win. Yeah, you see that? Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's air like, massage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> This is the third iteration of the handheld Linux terminal project I've been working on for a while now. Like the others, the aim is to create a small, all-in-one computer that is both portable and usable. One of the main problems with the last version was that it took way too long to make, and some of the finishing wasn't as good as it could have been. I like this idea, actually.
0: Uh, Node plans to release the files for the 3D printed parts soon, so that's kind of neat. But maybe, maybe that's not really your style, Wes. Maybe you want something more laptop style. So keep this in mind. I also saw this week there is like a laptop uh, like concept where you could snap something like that in. So you take a, like a standard laptop, maybe in this case the Acer TravelMate. Yeah, sure. And uh, you cut it open. And so you get it off eBay and you install a Raspberry Pi into this thing and take advantage of its keyboard, its screen. You can use HDMI to drive the display. You can hook up keyboards and stuff like that. And you put a Raspberry Pi inside a laptop. Okay, okay. I'm just putting these out here as options. I know yeah, you're in the definitely. market.
1: That first one, that's a that might be
0: that actually. Could I be wonder what cool, the price point it? would be. You like that because you can put it in the pocket. Yeah, you could put it in the pocket. I do like that idea too. There's a few of these out there right now. There's one we covered on last recently too, that's trying to build that in your pocket computer. That one was a more straight up like we were going to run Ubuntu and I don't I I can't remember if it was ARM or
2: not. Yeah. A GPD pocket's pretty cool. Yeah, GPD, yeah that's I mean, what yeah. it was. Do yeah, you remember, yeah, yeah. William, is that ARM? It's just an Atom. No, it's just like oh, one okay. of those cheap low-end Atoms It's yeah. like five watts or something. Okay. It's meant for like tablets and phones. So yeah. the
3: GPD is Atom and the Gemini is ARM.
2: And these are all kicking around right now?
3: GPD They're both being so cool. crowdfunded at the moment. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, isn't that funny? Yeah, the, the GPD, GPD is like really funded, like 2.5 million raised. Two, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 1,200% yeah. over their goal, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and what was yeah, the other one? Have one have these these. You have the with real really? really nice. All right, so wait, okay. The so-
4: that it's been so funded, man, because at, at what point does it become a liability? You know, like how, how can they fulfill all those orders? You know, they were expecting yep. to fulfill a few thousand. Now they've got to fill a few tens of thousand. Yep. And that's just a logistical nightmare. So that, thats what's kind of put me off the GPD. So here's, Otherwise, it looks awesome.
0: So that's a great point, John. So here's what I want to do because we have a unique opportunity. Todd from Purism is joining us right now, so I want to get to him because I think he could be our resident expert on crowdfunding. But at first, before we go to Todd, I wanted, i want to ask Wimpy: Are you hedging your bets? You're—you're you're backing two different portable hardware devices. Like you, sir, are crazy. What, you must really want this form factor.
3: Uh, I do really want this form factor and also as I've said before just recently um bitcoin is um trending really nicely at the moment <laughs> so I've Ooh. been making a few luxurious purchases investments, backing be- investments. Yeah. yeah I've I've also bought something old and crusty as well which I can talk about later if you're oh, interested Oh really yeah I am yeah. good for you But for you. um so I saw the GPD and I thought that looks very interesting and I'm sort of 50/50 as to whether or not we'll ever see it because there's a lot of renders and maybe they've now they've got you know loads of backers then maybe it will happen we'll 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 see what happens but I'm not sure it's a little bit almost shady some of it uh, yeah well, it's but also,
4: the well, of the actual um, prototypes now
2: yeah yeah, yeah I do though they have shipped a product in the past that's very similar and it was on Indiegogo and it did ship yeah. to many yeah. backers so they do at least have successful products in the past sure that were crowdfunded it yeah. was it was when it was first announced that there was lots of renders and not much substance
3: and it was just a little case bit. on their indiegogo <laughs> yeah anyway so that's hmm. that one so that looks interesting but then the gemini again so this is an organization that really has sort of previous in in this area um they've worked in this space a lot before um, and, uh, I bumped into them at MWC as well. So uh. I had the, had the opportunity to press the flesh. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I've backed that cause I think that that, I think that will probably arrive later than they're hoping because they don't have all of the manufacturing pipeline mm-hmm. arranged yet unless they get, you know, really good at that. And that, that all comes together quickly. But I think when that one ships, it will be the better device in Mm. terms of the way it's designed and the ergonomics and things.
0: Yeah, okay. It's interesting to hear how everybody now, I think we've all sort of We've shifted our expectations in what we get from crowdfunding. Here, everybody's yeah. like, "Well, let's kind of roll the dice here." Uh, but Todd, I, I wanted to toss to you uh, first of all. Welcome to Linux Unplugged. And to Joe's point, when you have phenomenal success, you have almost you've almost gone too far. You can't, as a small company, is it difficult to sort of now meet that demand, which could was uh, we could possibly start a whole snowball effect of bad PR, uh, struggling for a new company. What are your reflections on this story, Todd?
5: Yeah, well thanks for uh having me on. Um so it obviously is a can be a challenge. Uh crowdfunding is, you know, still really relatively new as a way to start a business. And a lot of times um uh what'll end up happening is, you know, especially if they're just you know, if we're talking about like a developer who says, Hey, I just want to do this, or they get together with their buddies and they're like, Yeah, we think we think our cost is probably around, you know, X dollars. And what ends up happening is um to operate a business, of course, it's uh, you know it's X times four usually. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Um, right. So it so that's one of the things that uh, tends to to underfund you, know, meaning on a per quantity basis. So they might you know a lot of uh, uh, projects that um, that that get overfunded uh, and oversubscribed, which of course is a great problem initially when you think, hey, this is awesome, people are really excited what we're doing. Uh, but then, um, I think to Wimpy's point was that, uh, when you're actually looking at a, a, per cost per item that, um, you need to start scaling your operations, right? You have to start dealing with, are you managing inventory, right? And the entire operational side of things, which right, a lot of right. uh, those types of campaigns, uh, don't end up having. So it, uh, you know, the sadly, uh, crowdfunding track record is, is not as good as, um, as we'd all like it to be, because obviously it's such a great way to, you know, to get these things, uh, off the ground and, you know, see projects and it's sort of a new way to start businesses. Um, really what they tend to do is, uh, kind of stay in the hobby area or Mm. obviously, you know, delivery is, uh, I think, I think I could safely say that, uh, 99% of the projects are delivered late. Um, because that's just, you know, the, the nature of the beast, especially when you're dealing with hardware.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially it seems too when it's something that's pushing the edge a little bit, where you might have to get manufacturers on board with a new idea or a new way of doing something or shipping in a way they've never shipped before. It seems like the the uh, the difficulty gets exponentially tougher. Um, do you agree with that assessment, Todd?
5: Uh, yes, I think you're exactly right. Um, and uh, and so like in our case, uh, we actually, I've, I've at a previous company used the same exact supply chain, um, and uh, but that's... That, you know, just made it where I had the contacts to be able to do things um, that we were trying to do, but um, but you know, we obviously had a lot of learning curves uh, along the way. Uh, mostly, it was around um, you know delivery times or what products were actually available. Uh, and obviously, even one of the things, uh, Chris, that you might remember is that we were originally slated to get 4K screens. So we said, yeah, we can do 4K screens because we heard from the supply chain we can do 4K screens, and then that ended up turning into. Uh, you know, constant delays because the the actual source manufacturer, Samsung, was uh, getting bought up by much larger suppliers
0: mm-hmm.
5: or much larger buyers, right. and so um, so we kept kind of falling to the back burner. And then at some point, we just had to you know cut our losses and say, you know what, we're going to have to we're going to have to ship what we can right now, and then um, and then basically place another order uh, with a more reliable supply chain. So it really that supply chain management is an area that um, is really difficult to manage through. Uh, and, you know, and now we ended up after we've just, because we've grown to the point where we can have a really solid supply chain and through negotiation really s- to some degrees trial and error. Uh, but a lot of the new new um, crowdfunded campaigns that that is, uh, I think Wimpy's point is exactly right. When you start to get uh, oversubscribed, then they introduce all sorts of new problems, right? It's not just like a hobby Uh, putting this together they're trying to actually now start to form a business and if they didn't get their pricing right uh, it could end up being um, that that they won't be able to, to actually fund the entire process right if they don't
0: have if they don't have experience working with manufacturers and like to your point which I don't really think a lot of us think about if they get to a certain size now all of a sudden they have to also have experience with managing inventory and tracking support issues and support staff that if you don't have a past experience standing those groups up and integrating those employees into your business you know it's going to be a huge learning curve while you're also trying to ship the product like that you just pr- promised everybody it's like zero to medium sized business yeah. in a night so i'm glad wimpy's risking the bitcoin on it because i really want to see both of these be successful because i love the form yeah, factor idea totally so thanks, Whibby. <laughs> yeah, yep. and uh, you know, if I end up with two of these, then one will be for my daughter, so that will be oh, yeah. fun. That's nice. It's yeah, weird, weird. That's, that's brilliant. Well, uh, Todd, thanks for being here, and I uh, hope you stick with us. We've got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. I just want to give a quick heads-up to folks uh, that may be using LastPass. I've been looking at different password managers recently, if that wasn't obvious. Oh, and um, It's that time again. And I keep coming back when it comes to mobile integration and stuff like that. I keep preferring LastPass. So I this applies to me. I don't know if some of you are out there. But over the weekend, a Google security researcher reported a new client-side vulnerability. So this is in the browser side, which could be potentially dangerous. There is an update. Now, uh, LastPass is uh, not giving us the details. Maybe those uh, TechSnap guys will keep an eye out for the details on what the actual vulnerability was. Hey. But right now, as of uh, yesterday, the, uh, the word from LastPass is just update. And we'll tell you all the details soon. <laughs> or maybe Google actually will. Because a lot of times the Google Project Zero blog... Yeah, sure. Has that stuff. Um, Speaking of TechSnap, we should mention more often that uh, you can find more of Mr. Wes on the TechSnap program. Was it last week? You guys did a deep dive. Was it or was it the week before? Yep, yep. last week. Yeah. Deep dive broke from the traditional format and did a deep dive into Bacula, which is such a badass backup system that Dan knows very well. Yes, so. he does. Yeah, That's he's a place. Bacula guy. And uh, I tell you what, if you've ever been curious about a really rock solid backup system, it can do bare metal restores. It can do individual file restores. It can it can really manage a lot of sets of data. Uh, Bacula. And check out uh, last week's episode on TechSnap about it, which is an open source. I used to use Bacula. Oh, really? Yeah, I used to use it to back up a uh, company that sold antivirus software.
1: Oh, nice. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but it works great for something like that. Yeah,
0: and, and it was perfect. It really was. So that's a different time. You know, now, now I might use it with DigitalOcean. I could picture it. Oh, DigitalOcean.com, go over there. In fact, do me a favor. After you sign up, you can get a $10 credit and support the show by applying the promo code DO on a to your account. I like the way that this works, too, because you can you fund the account. Yeah. So this is just one of the funding methods. You could fund it with PayPal or a credit card or... Probably pixie dust, but use the promo code. I'm not sure about that last one D O unplugged. One word, you get a $10 credit. You can spin up a Linux rig up on their infrastructure, all SSDs for the storage. Oh! Wes, it makes a difference. It sure does. You know what also would help with that Bacula thing? Their
1: private networking.
0: Dude, you mean for like backing up your own droplets yeah. and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yes, because also that's brilliant, A, because then your backup server isn't on the public net, but B, uh, the transfer over the private networking doesn't count towards your total data transfer. Boom. That's money right there. That's a good idea. Yeah, check that. That's a, one of the many great features of DigitalOcean. Go over there, use our promo code DO Unplugged and spin up a rig. You can try out Bacula for just a few pennies on the dollar if you want to run it for a few hours. Try out the five dollar rig, two months for free. It's going to be all SSD, so it's nice and fast. And if you want to back up to DigitalOcean, they have block storage which you can add up and add up and add up and just keep growing as you need, or even reduce. Or this is brilliant. Didn't realize this until recently. Move it to another droplet. <laughs> Frickin' mind blown in the context of backups. Freaking mind blown. It's, and that's just the beginning, too. If you're into this kind of stuff, you might also fight, you might also favor their new monitoring system coming soon. It's going to be coming, I, little birdie tells me very soon, and you can sign up for early access when you go over to digitalocean.com. Go there, create an account. Big thank you DigitalOcean. They have a great interface for managing all of this, an API that really works. Hell of a good service at digitalocean.com. Use our promo code DO Unplugged, and thanks to them for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Okay, so I want to talk just briefly about file servers. I know, I know. Some people's eyes are going to glaze over. But there's one that we don't talk about very much, and I want to give it a little love right now. And that's Rockstore. I've mentioned it once before, but a couple of days ago, I missed it at first. They had a new release, and I think it's worth mentioning because they've put a ton of of effort into this. They have now six contributors coming together to work on bug fixes and performance improvements. The code quality, from what people tell me, has had a big jump in this one. Uh, They've had a lot of improvements to their Python backend stack. They are still, and this could be actually, I think, a feature to some of you. All in on ButterFS for the NAS file server file system. So if you're a big fan of ButterFS, which people remain fans, uh, this is a great file server for you potentially. They also seem to offer some some commercial products or offerings. I'm not totally familiar with
1: support available as well. So yeah, maybe it'll make you feel a little more secure. Yeah. ButterFS file system stability.
0: So Rockstore just had a uh, had a new release with uh, which sounds like a lot of nice refinements and improvements, which is pretty much exactly what you want from your NAS. Yeah. Now uh, on the other end, there is FreeNAS Coral, which is uh, also known as FreeNAS 10. This is a massive release, in my opinion, for FreeNAS. It's uh, it's big. It's it's sort of in some ways a total revisioning of the way the UI works. It's yeah, got a brand boy. new slick UI. Uh, it's got a rewritten middleware architecture. And the big, and probably one that has gotten the most discussion, changes. They're, they're transitioning from using jails for plugins to using Docker containers. Say what? Docker containers. Isn't that a Linux thing? Docker containers with full ZFS integration
1: Ooh. and
0: a new command line. Um, and uh, there is some caveats if you're migrating from FreeNAS 9. Your plugins that you have installed via jails—they don't get deleted; they just get deactivated, uh, and you'll have to kind of come up with your own solution to maybe converting those into Docker containers. Now, this is this is interesting because I think this is probably one of the biggest competitors in this sort of rock store sort of. Oh yeah, Linux. Uh, uh, you know, it's
1: the household day.
0: Baby. Yeah, well, yeah. And Freenas is uh, um, making huge changes, and along those are also some of the changes on the backend team. Um, Jordan Hubbard, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and watching a presentation on FreeNAS10 at uh, MeetBSD, who seemed to me a, a big part of the project. He's, uh, he is moving on. Uh, now, he was the uh, main dev. <laughs> so he's also the CTO of IX Systems. Uh, so that's a, that's a big change. He sounds like he's you know moving into something that he's going to be super passionate about. So uh, he's going into, I think, like the, the – uh, yeah, he says the nanotech biomedical field. Ooh. It's a complete career change. For <laughs> wow! Him. Yeah, yeah. Which that's got to be nice from time to time. Totally
1: so, reinvigorate.
0: Yeah, um, good for him. But it's got to be a huge change. Also, uh, back in December, they had another longtime uh, uh, FreeNAS developer who uh, was with FreeNAS since version eight, seven years. Um, he's also moving on from FreeNAS. So some big changes. Jonathan says that he uh, he will not be or Jordan, not Jonathan, sorry, Jordan Hubbard. Jordan says that I don't know, Jonathan. Jordan Hubbard says that uh, he won't be a developer anymore, but he'll still be part of the community. So Jordan's still going to be in the, you know, as a user. Right. Says he'll be filing bugs and uh, yelling at those devs. Ah. Um, and some people have speculated, well, is this because of all of the breakage from upgrading from FreeNAS nine to ten? But uh, I don't buy it. I don't buy it because FreeNAS FreeNAS nine point one zero is still available for download, still supported. Like you don't have to upgrade. Yeah, and you can roll back your upgrade if it goes wrong. So I don't really buy that like Jordan was pushed out, which is what Reddit. The Reddit the Reddit conspiracy theory yeah. is right now that uh, Freenas 10 was such a failure that it pushed Jordan out. Which uh, seems a little a little over the top.
2: Yeah. But if he was just pushed out, he'd probably go to a company with similar interests or do something in a similar vein, not change careers completely. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I just I don't know. I think what it was
0: is he he worked on this until it was done. And he got you know some he sort of got his, some stuff wrapped up and now it's he's a natural time to it's change. like it's like a nice smooth yeah. transition yeah uh, and it, I but the, 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 all that is my way of saying there is there is some there is some some pushback on this new release this Freenas Coral
1: I'm sure there is yeah
0: and I wonder if uh, things like Unraid or another Linux out of the box file server could step up to fill the gap I don't know if Freenas is got a pretty big lead at this point and. Like I said, version 9, still perfectly good, still yes, perfectly usable, true. still perfectly downloadable. But you do have to wonder,
1: I mean, there was even a question to the TechSoup program about what's that support cycle going to be, which,
0: I, I knowing IX, I, I was I'm wondering. sure it's going
1: to be very reasonable, you know, especially since there's a community around it. That's so what it seems I'm not like. that worried, it's, but you do have to think, like, you know, like you've been talking about, like, if you're planning in the next five years, I mean, it would probably still work for that time frame, but 10 years? What do you think about Docker? I mean, that's, that's an interesting an interesting Did choice. docker just win right
0: there did docker just win like i, mean, the... I
1: can't see it from their perspective of does that much easier like if it's packaged at docker is it now pretty easy for them to make sure it works in their environment versus having to put together plugins with their own custom jail format that kind of thing
0: to me it seems to represent like sort of the industry even even the people on the bsd side of the fence coming to a recognition that well, if you want to be able to distribute software that runs across multiple platforms, Docker's just the container technology we're going to use. And yeah. it's not so much that they're like betting on Docker so much as they want to make all of the stuff that's already in a container available to FreeNAS. So they instead of that's having That's where the reach is. Yeah, instead of having to have a plugin author who creates something specifically for a FreeNAS, now just Exactly. Joe FreeNAS user can pull down a Docker
2: container.
1: Do we know yet how they're doing it? Is it using
2: it's what? probably still using jails. That's what On I would say It's just that the Docker format gives you this, like, universal format to package the thing up with, and then shit. You know, I yeah. wonder. And universal I don't, controls that just work.
0: I wonder, uh, because the way they say, uh, listen to the way they put this, uh, support for Docker containers its own built-in hypervisor that supports virtualization with full ZFS integration. So to me, it sounds like
2: they're using a hypervisor to run the and containers. They run like a Linux kernel. But, It'd be you think it they're cool. able to run Linux Docker images <laughs> this is where they're going with this? They are Linux no, Docker. No, free. no, they are oh. Linux Docker,
0: because they're making it available for you to pull down pre-created Docker containers.
2: Then it's probably, yeah, Beehive with Linux running on top okay, of it. Okay, interesting. Yeah.
0: That, to me, is a huge statement. Yeah. Hmm. Don't you think? That's pretty cool. That's sort of like when Microsoft started shipping Docker support and Bash on Windows. It's just sort of like this Linux is the runtime Linux is the runtime, and however you get that runtime on your machine, oh, sure, yeah. And the container technology is the, is how you get the runtime right now. But it's really, but those half of those containers are running Ubuntu, right? So it's it's really Linux is the platform, yeah. And in, in a lot of those cases, it's Ubuntu
1: seventy percent. There you go. There you go.
0: So it's that's that. I think they came up with a way to run Ubuntu on FreeNAS.
1: I we'll want to look more into this. I am very, very curious about it because I wonder if it'll create any pressure for their uh, compat layer. To implement those primitives, you know, because they're
2: just using Beehive with a Linux kernel, right? Yeah. It would talking, be you know, better though if they didn't thing.
0: have to run a whole hypervisor. Because right. if you could like if you nice, could support
1: like OCI or other types of things, then suddenly you could have like, hey, I want to run for BSD as my you know base platform right. for. Kubernetes or whatever. Working
2: most reliably using the hypervisor route is probably the best way yeah, to Yeah, totally. At yeah. least to start. And maybe down the road they allow you to pick whether it's using the ABI or using a hypervisor. Yeah.
0: And I think that's what Microsoft is doing. Oh, and at 2.30, uh, the uh, file system upgrade just finished on the phone. Ooh. So in from 2.00. New so, hot news. Yeah, so there you go. The uh, real the uh, file system in real time is completed. Oh, geez, now i got to sign in? What is this crap? Just for one point I, release? Sorry,
4: does this mean... Does this mean if Ubuntu is running on freedos, does that mean we can get snaps running as well?
0: Well, if the if you couldn't you if you could run Docker containers on there, couldn't you just run essentially like a small Ubuntu system (laughs) and SSH? Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah,
3: you could, and you could make snaps on it as well if you wanted to.
0: Fascinating. That is interesting. Um, I really want to see what the web UI. I've I've looked at the early betas.
1: Um, I don't know well, if they there's have limitations. like a beehive support in this new UI, yeah, right? So it would make sense that they might use. Yeah, they, this, well, they have right? a section called another built-in VM They
0: report. have a section called VMs, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's just, that's what I would think. It's just another built-in VM. So it's something I think I'm going to play around with. Uh, now that I can get Linux on my FreeNAS, this is a game changer for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big controversial feature in the FreeNAS community right now. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. I thought that was oh, Al, oh. And by the way, if you are going to upgrade, let me see. I have. Somewhere in this mess of show notes, here we go. I have a migrating from FreeNAS 9 to FreeNAS Coral uh, entry on the FreeNAS wiki nice. that covers all of it and like issues you have. Uh, especially if you're using encryption, maybe just give this a read. It doesn't sound like it's going to be too complicated, but probably stuff you should be aware of. So uh, check that out. We'll have all that. Go
1: try the channel. new version. I'd love to hear what do you people think a, about it. Do
0: you have a file server at home?
1: Not anything uh, pre-built like this hmm, I have a I have a box that has a container that runs by a router and then it has a container that stores my files. If you, just,
0: if you just built a big desktop PC, you could put a bunch of disks in it. I sure could. I and sure could. You could just use that. Yeah. A, it's like a double duty. Hmm. All right, well, th- we're going to talk about your new machine. We're going to go spend your money here. We're going to go spend your money here uh, just about now, actually. So uh, I think it's just about time. Let's, so let's do that. Let's, let's Actually, let's mention Linux Academy, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Then we're going to go – oh, man, Wes. See, my favorite thing to do is to spend other people's money, and I'm, we're going much, to get you set it's up. much more fun. We're going to get you hooked up. We're going to get you hooked up with a good machine, and then when you're ready to put that machine to use and you want to do more, I want you to go to Linux Academy and learn more. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You land there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. It's a platform to learn more about Linux, with self-paced, in-depth video courses, hands-on, real-world scenarios that help shake off that test anxiety because you've got actual expertise. I love it. They spin up the lab server when you need it. You SSH into that shenanigans. You get a real environment, 7-plus Linux distros you choose from, the servers, and the courseware all snap, see what I did there, to hey, that you. distro. All snap to that distro. You can also take practice exams to, like, prepare for a cert test. You can get note cards that have been forked by the community and improved. You get nuggets, which are just tiny bits of wisdom. You just do a little deep dive into a singular topic for five minutes or an hour, depending on the subject, which is great when you've got a busy week. Speaking of busy weeks, they have course schedulers to work with you to help match content to your busy schedule, a community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members, downloadable tools like guides and lesson audio that you can take with you, iOS and Android apps to study on the go. Damn. Damn, the list just keeps getting longer and longer. And they're always adding more courseware. You can just look at their Twitter feed to see that. It's just – it's so awesome that something like this where you sign up once and then they just keep working their butts off to get you more and more stuff. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the unplugged program. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. So if we're not going to do the uh, Raspberry Pi with a keyboard for you, Wes, it sounds like you are – well, can you tell people what you got right now? Give people a base so they know what you're coming from. Right
1: now I've got a Core i5 – what is it? Second generation? Third? Well, what generation is this one? I think. First? That might be it first. Might be first, yeah. First gen
0: XPS. Yeah. With a, I think that was the first Gen i5. Yeah. 13-inch screen?
1: 13-inch mm. screen. And what's
0: the resolution of the screen? 13-whatever. No! Yep,
1: yep. So that's the icing on oh this my, horrible case. Oh, my goodness. Which, at home, I have external monitors, so it's not that big of a deal. But It
0: has the monitor hookup display port? Yeah, okay. display port. All right, so that'll probably still be the same. Yeah, so that's fine. I'm, I SSD?
1: Have SSD, yeah. And 4
0: gigs, 8 gigs? 4 gigs of RAM. Oh, my
1: God. Oh,
0: my, oh my God. Okay. Wow. Yeah, we really got to talk. <laughs> so, thirteen inch. Now, what do you like most about that form factor?
1: I mean, it is very convenient. It's not a heavy machine. It's easy to throw in a bag. I think I could do up to a fifteen inch, uh, as long as it wasn't you know crazy. I would like to like you know be able to okay. easily take okay. it to a coffee shop or a bar to do some work. Okay. Okay.
0: All right. Well, see, I was I was going to recommend I was going to recommend something a little bigger. I was gonna recommend. Uh, have you seen this uh, Acer here with the uh, oh with the twenty uh, inch
2: curved screen? Wow! Yeah, <laughs> it's got Only a fan. Only weighs the... eighteen pounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> crazy.
1: Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. It looks like it has a nice keyboard though. Are those? Is that like a real
0: keyboard? Look yeah, man. It. Yeah, yeah. That's legit right there. Not is... the
1: numpad. Not the numpad. No, but it's a like, rest. It's like it. a
0: mechanical keyboard. That's awesome. Yeah, the numpad actually comes yeah, out and crazy. can be a trackpad. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it flips over. Yeah, there that's you go. That's nuts. Yeah, isn't that sweet? So, not that. That's too big. Yeah. So, what do you like least about the form factor? Did you feel constrained on the screen? I you
1: must. Yes. Oh, yes. So, it's not it's, oh. it's not that bad. Like, I honestly spend a lot of the time, I have, like, you know, a chat program or two, but once at a time, a terminal and a web browser. So, it's not that bad. But, when I'm away from home and I'm trying to do some development, which I need, you know, like a couple terminals and a web browser, then suddenly I'm all tabbing over the place. It's... You it gets like, dicey.
0: Okay, so on uh, not just because they're friends of the show, but it seems like something like the Galago Pro would be a pretty strong contender for you. What you have to decide here is, do you want to go bigger than 13-inch screen or not? Because I think that's that's the classifier. Right.
1: For, and it sounds like you're leaning 15-inch. I mean, the 13-inch I, I like, 13, 14 even. I think it, I think it would be okay with a 15-inch. That's where it kind of forks the discussion maybe a little bit as well do I also want to consider building a new desktop rig?
0: Right, okay. Because I haven't built a desktop rig. A new laptop rig. and a desktop
1: or, or you know, in maybe place not of e- the laptop? I, I guess there's both options. I would still like a new laptop, but if I have a nice desktop at home, that means I could have a, you know, a different, yeah. I would probably want a 13-inch. Or are there these options with Thunderbolt eGPUs that I might want a beefier laptop? So here's
0: what I think. So I think we should. I think we should do this. I think we should do this since people at home are probably thinking some of the same stuff. I think we should break that particular the desktop into a separate conversation because I think we can quickly get there because I think that might be the way to go. Although, although there are some super nice laptops like uh, is it called Kratos? Is that how you pronounce it, Wimpy? The Kratos? Kratos? Yes, it's the
3: Entroware Kratos. That looks like a nice rig. Yeah, if you're on this side of the Atlantic, so in Europe, uh they've just released their new updated version of that, which uh is an I seven and it goes up to thirty two gigs of RAM and it's got an Nvidia ten fifty in it, GTX ten fifty. Nice. Uh, I think yeah. fifteen inch display. That matters, so, I think.
0: Mm, yeah, fifteen inches. It's kinda tasty. I think I think Wes, you really deserve dedicated graphics. If you can. There's something there's another route you could consider. This is something I know you've been looking at. That's why I bring this up. So, audience behind the scenes, Wes has been reading up a little bit about using, say, like a Thunderbolt cable to hook up an external GPU. You could also go this route. So, if we go, if we if we keep this in mind, this also opens up your your possibilities. I just don't know how well this kind of thing works with Linux. Right. I'd love to know if anybody in the audience or in the mumble room has any any information about external Thunderbolt uh, GPUs with Linux. It looks like
1: ww is got something. You do WW. <gasps> I got something on the the Windows side. Okay, so from I've only seen one person on YouTube actually test what Thunderbolting an external video card what the performance is actually like, and from that one series of like two videos, it's a thirty to forty percent decrease oh. from desktop performance. For a four to twelve percent gain, and that is if you're using the a uh, monitor hooked up to the external
5: right um, right eGPU
1: sure. unit. So I mean that's on Windows. Your performance can vary wildly uh, vary do you, on Linux. Do you happen to
0: know what what connection interface they're using? If it was Thunderbolt two or three,
2: because that makes a difference. I think
1: it was Thunderbolt three. Wow, yeah, to I think listen.
2: most of the gear is Thunderbolt three driven. Yeah. Thunderbolt, cool Thunderbolt three though is forty gigabits. It is. What's cool is if you get a laptop that has the Thunderbolt 3, but it also has the reverse feed display port. So the graphics card can feed a display port back in and power the screen on the laptop. Because like the Apple, I want to say just the MacBook or the MacBook Pro can do that. And I know there are other laptops. I think like the Razer Blade and stuff can do that, where you can plug in the external GPU and still use the laptop monitor with the external GPU feeding it instead. A
0: lot of people in Which the chat room cool. have been suggesting Razer Blade. Have you looked at Razer? I have not. I mean, I've, I'm the vaguely aware, cool but for the price. aren't they horrible with the Linux though? Or are they? Yeah, are I they? Think so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, this is this is this is the thing. Wes is, I I would I would encourage you to really get your head around what screen size you want and really draw the line somewhere. Uh, for me personally, over the years, having right next to me, I have my Librem right yep. right now yep. and, and, I, and I have the Apollo and one is a 13 inch and one is a 15 inch. And it, if I want something that I take on the couch, I like the 13 inch. If I want something that I'm going to work from, I like the 15 inch. Yep. It's just so it's really what you're going to use it for. What are you going is to, it, is it more of a work machine or is it more of a browse the web, have fun machine?
1: Honestly, probably more of a work machine. I mean, I will Mm. use it in a casual capacity. But portability, do you take it with you to work? Not to work, but uh, I like to work out of the house a lot of my own personal projects, show work, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And that's where this really fails.
3: How much time do you spend looking at the screen when you're doing that sort of stuff? What do you mean? Uh, when you're working on your own stuff and you want to use it, you know, for working on your own projects, how much time might you be spending at the computer Then those those moments?
1: Uh, I, I would say anywhere from two to six hours. Whoa. Depending. Okay. Depending.
0: Jeez, I can't believe you've put up with that resolution for this long. I would not. I would not, man. That's got to be rough. Well, that's how I find myself here today. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I'm really proud of you for taking so what? So I've it's actually got the same
3: machine. I've got a 13 inch and a 15 inch variant. So it's the 13 inch XPS and the 15 inch XPS. And the 13 inch XPS is what I take out when I'm going travelling. That's the device I take sure. because it's small, it's powerful, it's no compromise. Um, but for extended periods working on that machine, it's not so great because the 13 inch screen, um, you do find yourself, you know, you can't quite get close enough to it now that's probably compounded by the fact that that's a high DPI screen that's right. so I've actually been thinking about potentially selling that XPS 13 and getting the version with the 1080p screen um, because I think that would be better to work on uh, for, for longer periods oh yeah that's
1: an interesting point yeah and I'm not like I don't need a touchscreen. I don't have I mean it, they're nice I, I would maybe occasionally use it but uh, not a deal breaker hmm. at all
0: Reika says it looks like Razer is working uh, the Razer Core, which is their external eGPU with a 970 in it, hooked up to an XPS 13 running on Arch. Looks like it's working to power an external monitor. Ooh. That's it. The XP, I, you know interesting. I really like. Can it. post links for that somewhere, please? He put it in the chat room. Uh, uh-huh. I, I really like. I really like um, the XPS 13. But if it was my only computer, I would probably opt for the 15. Yeah. And Wimpy, what was the battle like to put? 'Cause this thing only ships with Windows. So what was the what was the process like to put Linux on? Is it just a format, Nuke Pave, install Linux, or is there some, did you replace Wi-Fi and, and whatnot?
3: So um, I got my machines both from a Dell reseller uh-huh. and they were able to sell the XPS fifteen with a configuration that had the same Wi-Fi chip in it as the oh. XPS thirteen developer edition. So I didn't have to do any monkeying around it obviously arrived with windows 10 on it which was actually quite um helpful because around the time i got mine sort of september last year they were just working out the last of the firmware bugs in the bios and so you needed to uh, flash anyway so yeah i needed to do the updates anyway so it was quite handy to have that do the updates and then it's just been running Ubuntu ever since
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. yeah i i I wonder if even now if the latest model even would have if you'd have to replace the wi-fi uh, that may not be an issue anymore. Yeah. And I mean I'm comfortable doing that. Uh it would make me happier if it had a if it if had I, a 10 it series it card. It has a GTX 960. Uh, it's yeah. not a hard swap. I've done it. You just take the bottom off and it's right there. It's yeah. not a hard swap at all. Um and you can just get a replacement card on Amazon for like thirty five bucks, sixty bucks. Yeah. But uh that seems like a that seems like a decent way to go. All right. So that is I so you're so if you go if you go in the like the fifteen inch range, that you know, there's some there's some nice machines there. But you said something that I, I think is probably the more exciting thing to consider because it's something I've gone through myself is, what if I do something like an Ultrabook or even, this is crazy, but even like a, a Chromebook, yeah. and then I get myself like a six core or more i7 machine, 32 gigs of RAM, lots of storage, and you just go all out. And Plus, it's kind of fun if you haven't done it for a while to build a PC. Like, when's the last time you built a PC? Oh,
1: I don't ages? know. Yeah, ages? Yeah, ages. Ages, like seven
0: years or something? So maybe? have you been on laptops for years now? Okay, so we got to talk about this because I did yeah. this transition I mean, I have the myself. occasional,
1: <laughs> there's like a gaming rig kind of thing, but it's not like new. It has a nice graphics card, but older processor, so yeah. it and really, not, really it's would it's be a chance. It's not where you're to, working. It's not where I'm working, now.
0: Yeah, hmm. okay. All right, so so I, I I recently made this transition myself where I was on all laptops for yeah. years, even the machines here at the table, right. which, oh, yeah. looking back at it seems ludicrous. It's kind of crazy, yeah. It's ludicrous, it seems ludicrous. <laughs> it seems ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and, and now, because now you it just, ah, oh, it blows my mind. Uh, yeah, so let's. Ludicrous. That could be your new handle. By <laughs> Chris Ludicrous? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I wonder, that's not bad. That's not bad. You know what else is ludicrous? Ting. Go to linux.ting.com. You'll save $25 off your first device and support the show. If you already have a GSM or CDMA device that works, check their BYOD page. You get $25 in service credit. That's nice because yes. it's 6 bucks for the line. And then just your usage on top of that for minutes, messages, megabytes. I was having a Telegram conversation today with I think it, it might have been it might have been Corey. I can't remember it on Telegram. He said, Chris says my mom does not want data on her phone, like, and he says, "Can I use Ting anyways?" I said, "Actually, Ting would be perfect because you can just go in and completely turn data off." I guess I guess his mom like had a bad experience with data. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happens, but and not Brent Spiner data, but
1: that one that one time you get that extra bill, you're just uh, like, yeah, ooh, I, that's, that's it." I just want phone calls. And so uh, he goes in there, can turn it right off. Boom. That's the thing. Tate makes it so easy. And if you do want it, it's super easy to set like, just, hey, let me know yeah. when I've crossed this boundary. Yeah, or if you just want to turn it back on. Yeah, Just go exactly. check a box.
0: They've got apps for the phone to manage all of it. They've also got a great website and customer service that really sets the bar. You get to talk to real human beings. So all of that combined with the fact that they're a really cool company with geeks that work there. They're really into this stuff. And they follow stuff like on their blog all the time. They've got uh, the Moto G5 Plus available now for pre order. That could be kinda quit. that could be kind of, quick. That could be kind of a, a cool device. It's got two it's got a two gigahertz octa core processor, four gigabytes of RAM. It's like around what? I think it's like what three hundred bucks for like a, a nice Ooh. Moto smartphone with with damn, four gigs of RAM? Damn, I think that's as much as the iPhone's got. That's as much as my laptop. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> Oh, that's so horrible! Oh my God, we gotta we gotta talk, Wes. We gotta talk. All right, thank you to Ting for sponsoring the show, Linux.Ting.com. Oh, Wes, I tell you, when I made that transition from and I, we're, these are nice laptops, right? Yeah, Bonobos, XBSs, you Lidrum. have been for laptops, no? No, they're good. Yeah, i five i seven processors, SSDs. This is why I thought and like the Bonobos, you know, for a while they were G- dedicated GTX graphics cards. What could the uh, in my mind? I understand that these some of these things are clocked slightly slower and they run slightly slower for for, for heat. Right. But in the not necessarily in the Bonobo. <laughs> uh, I I don't I I I couldn't really conceptualize that there would be a, a, a noticeable difference in my day-to-day usage. Couldn't really I even in my main workstation upstairs, I was using a laptop. And uh, and I was just doing th- you know unfilter editing, show editing, Regular show prep. Things, yeah. Um try and reviews. And then when uh, when it came time, like I, I think I guess it was last year, I can't. I, was it last year? Or the year before we built new rigs for Linux last Fest? week, yeah. And I one of the things I can, if I if it's possible, whenever I can, I'll buy two of everything so that way we have a backup because we're live, right? I want to have a production machine and a backup machine. And so I bought. Uh, so I thought, well, you know what? Let, if we're gonna build these anyways, I'll buy a third one because I mean I'm like I'm using Bitcoin, right? Yeah. It's not like I'm using actual cash here. It's not real money, so it's like oh, it's just what, get a third one. Whatever. Mm, yeah, looking back at it. Hasn't been money for ages. <sighs> anyway, so we build a third one, slightly nicer configuration because it's my personal workstation, and uh, put it in, and I sit down and start working on it, and now looking back at it, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a totally different computing experience. Wow! There is a, just a, it's something about the just the amount of sheer work. I can have this one system doing. Because not only am I doing like things like video encoding and editing and transferring large files around the network all at once, I've also got YouTube streams, telegrams, all this regular desktop, my email, my web browser, like all this huge, I've got all this regular desktop stuff going too. And then in the back end, I've got Usenet, I've got indexers, I've got downloaders, extractors, I've got I've got sonar monitoring feeds, like I've got all this other server stuff that this thing's doing that in the past would have been like on its own dedicated machine. Right. And it's doing that. All of it while I'm doing all this other stuff, and it never misses a beat. And it's just the sheer amount of productivity I get out of one machine. I For my main computer, I will never, ever – well, I shouldn't say that. I, I cannot for, for the, the foreseeable future. Pe- yeah, I cannot
1: see me going back to wow. a laptop for my main work that's system. A pretty, that's a pretty strong opinion. Plus, it takes the pressure off the laptop pick. Right. Which is so which hard is, to get just right. Yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect anymore. It just has to – yeah. Fill that niche.
0: So that's, I, I don't know, anybody in the mumble room have an opposite or, or similar experience? Like, you know, you switch over to a desktop and it's just a totally different amount of work you get done. For me personally, especially working with video and stuff, I love the fact that I can start an encode job. I, I'm just going to run for 15 minutes. I switch over to another desktop and it's like... You a, don't even worry about it. Don't, not at all. Wow. So,
2: as someone who's building a lot of software, it's invaluable to have like a Dually 5 machine sitting in a closet somewhere uh, sort of SSHing in from my laptop to be able to build software on 32 threads. Yeah, so awesome. yeah, yeah no that's a laptop. My my build so I just machine. Everything.
3: My build machine is my Entroware Athena, mm, which yeah. is an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. So that's a laptop um and it's my gaming laptop. But when it's not being used for gaming, which is infrequently, it sits on the desk behind me during the day and that's the machine that I do all of my builds and what have you on. Mm-hmm.
2: See that would be nice because uh, a big, that's a big machine. Like it's the one nice I used to be able to get, like a nice ultrabook with a huge battery, say like an X two seventy from Lenovo, and be able to go thirteen hours without plugging in, and you're just SSHing into your powerful box, yeah. so you can get a lot of work done but still go forever on battery. Mm-hmm.
1: It would be nice as well to have that kind of home base because. I don't find this laptop, especially, like, when I format it for the show or distro reviews or whatever. Like, it's just not that consistent. So it ends up that I have to promote some, like, cloud server or droplet or other thing to be my kind of, like, that's where I do Ansible runs from. That's where my main backups from my sync thing are taken or or whatever. That might not be and a so bad strategy. Be, yeah. But it would be we, nice for some things to have, like, kind yeah. of a home base that I could. That's like
0: me. It's like I just end up, there's some things I just wander around on my local machine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: I think you should. I think you should give the idea serious consideration because if you've made it this long on this machine, a, a fairly modest laptop would be a pretty big spec bump. So you could do a modest laptop bump and really invest in the desktop. You know, it's not. It's not all fun though. Uh, you know, I also. I mean, you. You know, we got a stack of dead motherboards yes, right, that's there right there. That there is isn't uh. It's not. I don't feel like it's quite as good as it used to be. I feel like I get a lot more dead on arrival parts when I when I custom build now than we used to. But you know, I, I guess. Don't know. I just, it doesn't seem like it's as big it as an industry. It's fine to me.
3: Yeah. So Wes, how important is battery life to you?
1: Um, I don't need like crazy battery life. I would like, you know, like five plus. If more would be, more would be nice, but I am usually in a position where I could find power or know of, you know, like my favorite establishments to work have pretty readable power outlets. That sort of thing.
3: Right. So. The reason I asked the question is when I got my Entroware Apollo, I suddenly uh, walked into a new era of battery endurance that I'd not experienced before. And, and I got used to having like seven hours plus battery life, and that was pretty great. When I got the XPS 13, I was looking for touchscreens and high DPI because I wanted to play with all the new toys. Right. And I I'm somewhat jaded because the... The trade-off there that you make is battery endurance, mm-hmm. because those um, high DPI screens and mm-hmm. the touchscreen sip up in. more power. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so I I will get comfortably four and a half hours on the XPS thirteen, maybe five at a push, but nothing more than that. And that's another reason why I've been considering for the for the XPS thirteen, perhaps the ten eighty P model, which um. It doesn't have the touchscreen, has a lower res screen, and the battery life is almost double.
1: Yeah, I, Ooh, yeah. See, my, I think I could do that.
0: That's my observation as well. Also, um, you just there's more Linux software that works better at uh, at right. regular DPI. You can you can definitely make it work, especially if you're working with Qt five apps or GTK three apps. You really you're going to have a fine you're going to have a fine experience, but almost all of them will screw it up out of the box. So you're gonna you know you're gonna have to make some tweaks. But uh, and I still I still am making small refinements to my plasma desktop on the XPS 13. I would I would also okay. agree if you if you don't need it. I personally think I don't I don't know of any laptops that have the screen resolution, but 2K is 2K perfect. Is super nice.
1: Yeah, perfect.
0: no, yeah. perfect. It's perfect. Mm. I really wish we had more two uh, K screens on laptops.
3: The other thing to consider is on the high DPI laptops, most of the thirteen inch laptops when you've pixel doubled them are like the equivalent of sixteen hundred by nine hundred in terms of uh. you know <laughs> yeah. usable yeah. you know, equivalent resolution. Yeah. So you actually have more screen space on a ten eighty P. Wouldn't be so it's, I'm just, I'm just mentioning these things because these are things that I hadn't considered going yeah, right. in, into my purchasing decision yeah. that I'm now aware of having, having yeah. made it.
0: I mean, I wanted to, I, I, in fact, I still want, I still want a machine I can try out high DPI stuff on for review purposes. Yeah,
1: no, that makes sense. But if you're not doing that, I don't, yeah. you know, it depends. I no. mean, like most of my time is in the yeah. terminal, maybe some like photo editing, but if I had a desktop, I could do that there too. Yeah,
0: dude. You can also get a 2K screen for a reasonable price on the desktop. Exactly. And so I have the I,
2: new X1 carbon's a 2K screen. for is it? Ooh, in case you're curious, slick, it is an older book form. Um, oh, right what? Now I might have to sell some things. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Didn't and know it's, it's like the Infinity Display, right? It's got the thin bezels. Yeah. what were we just, just talking one? about in the pre-show? That pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, take a look at it. X1 is it X1 one Carbon. Mm. Type C charging on the new one too. Oh, I love oh, that. I'm that I'm that all would be awesome. That's a killer feature of the XPS 13 and this is Type C charging. Do they
0: take Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously, because, yeah, that, oh, that's Noah because uh, he got the X270,
2: I'm curious if that also Type-C charges off the Type-C port on it, because
1: I'm you know, so, so done with Charger non- 2. Type C. Me it's too, just- <laughs> I was just
0: having a conversation last night with Noah about how I just want everybody to go all in on USB-C, let's
2: just do it. Yeah. Is- to- I- that's why when I saw the Galaga Ultra Pro with the new one oh, that didn't have wow. Type-C, I was like, you guys, you better fix this before you ship this. I would really love to see them yeah, have, have USB-C C. on that.
0: Maybe the next Rev can do it. I'm not sure why Hopefully. they can't do it now, but it is time. It's time for cameras. It's time for everything. I want I, I want to charge my remotes with USB-C, my phone with USB-C, my camera, my laptop. The thing everything.
1: that did it for me was I, I bought one of those battery packs, but it had uh, one that you could use to jumpstart a car on it, and it was chargeable, mm. and it used USB-C. So I was like, so in theory... I had my phone I could charge this battery from my phone and then start my car maybe yeah wow drain your phone though
2: yeah drain <laughs> yeah. my phone but
0: whatever so and then I can, I can, I can go it drive somewhere yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> okay somebody at chris ali me a lenovo reseller that sells the x1 carbon with uh the end accepts bitcoin Ooh. okay all right so there's there's that now wimpy though you were teasing earlier that you got new hardware you got something a new
1: device
3: Yes, I have. I uh, I can't tell you much about it other than what it is, but I have yeah. bought a uh an old computer. Um I have bought an IBM X two hundred, but this X two hundred has Libre boot. Ah, so oh. it's an FSF approved laptop.
0: Now this is a brand new purchase. So you just got you got this old new device. This new old it device. It
3: arrived. It arrived today. And other than getting it out of the box and the bubble wrap and turning it on, I haven't done anything with it. Well, so
0: hasn't that just isn't that just perfect? Because Todd's here, and I just recently saw news from from Purism about uh, work on Libreboot. Todd, w- can you bring us up to speed? What's going on over uh, with uh, with Libreboot?
5: Uh, yeah. So. Um... Well, Libreboot, of course, is just the port from Coreboot that removes the binary blobs. Um, so, right. Uh, right, So, so which, um, which
0: I guess to, I guess, can you back up and explain more uh, binary blobs of what?
5: So, uh, anything that's built pre two thousand eight, you can actually have a Coreboot running without any binary blobs, which are, of course, mystery code that runs at the BIOS level. Um, and obviously, this is getting more and more attention, yeah. especially with Vault Seven yep. releases, where about ninety percent of those uh, security-based exploits were uh, EFI or UEFI uh, exploits. So, um, uh, and then obviously, so one of the biggest ones and the biggest worry is uh, called the Intel Management Engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's also something else called Intel AMT that is uh, that actually allows for remote access of your machine when it's even powered off. So. Those are a couple of things that um, are binaries at the lowest level. And the way that I like to describe that is basically from a security standpoint, it's kind of how deep do you go? And so some people, you know, they'll just like install a, you know, ad blocker and they think that they're, you know, happy as it can be. Uh, and then, you know, then you can go deeper down to the operating system where you, you know, do you have binaries that power your wireless card or your graphics, et cetera. And then you can go deeper than that, which, of course, gets you to the bootloader. And then the lowest level is the firmware on the machine, which, of course, is the BIOS or EFI or, in our case, it's CoreBoot. So we actually just uh, ported CoreBoot for um, the Purism Librem laptops. And um, and then we have also what's called neutralized the management engine, which means we've removed the network stack, removed the kernel. So we have a very small bit of code to uh, reverse engineer or actually just get to the point where we can disable the management engine. Mm. And at that point, we'd actually qualify for Respect Your Freedom certification on a brand new i7 6th Gen uh, CPUs.
0: Damn. Ooh. Yeah, that that's that's how I feel about it. Just disable the damn thing. Just turn it off. I don't... I don't right. I'm like, yeah,
5: yeah. That's exactly, what's funny about it is that, um, I mean, it's one of those things that, initially, I don't think it was, like, really a nefarious reason why the management engine was initially started. It was part of this sort of business push to... Um, to make it where sysadmins can, you know, remotely control a device at a lower level than the operating system to, you know, to reinstall or repair, et cetera. And then it turned into this, you know, wow, this can actually be this black box that does a tremendous amount. So it actually now has a separate, its own separate core. Uh, it's an art core. Um, but wow. the thing at the end of the day is that it can be completely removed, right? So we've actually proven it can be completely removed, and the machine can operate. Uh, but it happens to operate for 30 minutes because there's a little watchdog timer that disables the CPU or actually powers it off. So now we have uh, um, 93% removed. The last 7% is a, this watchdog timer.
0: So, okay. So, point, you're, so you're telling oh, me – just a just pause there. So in the process of trying to figure out how this damn thing works and how to, how to disable it or just bypass it altogether – you're getting down the path. Oh, my God, I think we got this working. High fives all around everybody. We did it. And then 30 minutes into it, it shuts the system down. And it's like, then you discover yes. there's a timer in there.
5: Is this? It's, yeah, that's exactly right. So oh there is a, a separate watchdog timer that basically, when the machine first powers on, there's a signature check against one of the partitions within the uh, management engines. You can think of it like a, uh, like a zip file of partitions. Hmm. And so, But the signature check is only on the very first file or partition of the uh, management engine. So the networking stack and the kernel are in other partitions. So we can actually zero out all the partitions except the one that has a signature check. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if the signature check fails, then this watchdog timer triggers for 30 minutes. Um, But because we manufacture the motherboard, we actually have fusing capabilities that get us a little bit deeper than, uh, than what would otherwise be there. So we can actually start to really debug and say we can put the CPU in a debug mode or the management engine in a disable mode. So we're starting to um, test those features out. And obviously Mm. the end goal for us is we want to have um, a device that can operate with completely free software throughout the entire stack uh, from the very first firmware loaded all the way through all the operating system and all the applications that run.
0: Todd, my my capitalist sense would tell me that... There would be some other market leader that would seem to want to jump to the call of organizations that want to have more secure laptops, especially in a post-Snowden era. It seems like there could be even entire governments that would want computers that are rid of a management engine that's controlled by a U.S. corporation. Why, in your estimation, is this something that's not being – why is Lenovo not leading this charge?
5: It's uh, you know, yeah, it's just such a great question, and I don't happen to know the answer because obviously we're focusing on that. the The area that I think the only way I can really sort of answer that is that um, for us, we need to, we we need to have the entire stack, and it's really a game of depth. So, if your operating system, if you are going to be running, you know, Windows ten, well, then you are exploited at the operating system level. So it's right. So it's mm. so the for us, we look at it as. Uh, the game of security is a game of depth, and so we want to have all of our applications running free software. The entire operating system itself, the kernel, not running any binaries for wireless or for GPU, and then of course the bootloader being freed, and then the firmware at the lowest level being freed. So, um, and obviously, the, the more these documents get leaked, it just really underscores the reason. Yeah, our, I agree. You know, our model, like, or but it,
0: it seems to me, Todd, like it's such a. Herculean effort to actually do this, that by the time you get to completely done, there's there's the real, honest potential that the market could shift out from underneath you and like AMD's PSP system, the system that you know a lot of people are talking about now, that Ryzen's getting more attention, could all of a sudden start showing up on a lot of laptops. And now the market demand might start leaning that direction, right, as we Finally, get this problem checked off. Is do you see what I'm saying? Like it feels like, yes, as long as we're fighting this uphill battle, it's we might never really be on time with the market demand. Or do you think it's possible?
5: Uh, so I absolutely think it's possible, and of course, with AMD, right now, it's a lot of potential. Um, but we're not at the point where, even if they were to say tomorrow, yeah, we'll just go ahead and release this. You're talking about 2018. By the time they actually have something, that's you know, mm. into a product. Yeah. Um, and, and I also think, feel like right now it's a lot more talk than it is actual product. And the reason is because now's a time where they can talk about it and have the, you know, the theory start, you know, spewing around. And it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a business decision and, you know, and where in their triage list is it going to be to release the source code for the Agiza binary, right? It's right. going to be, it's going to be way down their triage right. list. Uh, you know, but we, but we're still, we're pushing for AMD to, to release it. Um, and as well as pushing with Intel to say we want an emulous design the you know the cryptographic bond and the goal for a lot of these corporations to you know really lock up a lot that you can start to see especially with the CIA vault 7 release that the, it's clear that at least the CIA as well as the tools that they were using uh, that they have the philosophy right if you were to ask me hey you know I want to I want to hack all the encrypted Communication services on Android phones. How should I do that? I would say go a level lower than the application. Right. right. Ta- target the yeah. operating system, and mm-hmm. you own everything above it. Or the, the baseband in some for, cases. Yeah. So the same way goes for um, management engine, or obviously phones, which with the baseband, uh, which we're we're working on. We actually have all of our hardware specification ready for manufacturing a phone uh, that'll come out in 2018. So hmm. these okay. are all things that that we're really concerned about. Um, but to answer your question about you know, where's the market demand and is it going to shift from underneath us? I think where everything is trending right now is uh, that uh, digital rights for users are getting stripped. Privacy is getting worse. Um, and, uh, and and the those who want to have access to your data or your devices uh, is growing in number.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a market. I think it's a market that's going to just get, and more and more leaks are just going to keep coming out. Joe, you had a question about uh, working with Intel. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, so Todd, when you um, originally launched your crowd funding campaign and everything, you were very positive and very optimistic about working with Intel and, and trying to get the, um, you know, the, the various binaries freed. Um, presumably, you've come up against quite a lot of walls with Intel. Um, you know, I just wanted to ask, you know, is your optimism still there? I mean, you, you've talked about what you want to happen, but I mean, what you realistically think can happen, I and mean, that, that's really what I'm getting at here.
5: Sure, no, that's a great question. So uh, one of the great things about buying product from Intel is that we're cutting checks to Intel, and so therefore we have account managers, and we have, therefore, dollar leverage. Now, our dollar leverage is obviously a whole lot smaller than Google, uh, but the as we grow... Then our dollar leverage starts to increase, where we can start making demands to Intel, and they'll start to actually listen. So we have submitted, you know, a petition. We've talked with Intel about, uh, you know, creating an emulist design. It, actually, that's they came up with the name from us discussing it. That there wasn't anybody talking with Intel about having an emulist design. So as an example, Google once they had CoreBoot running, then they were uh, perfectly fine with getting using the MRC bin that they uh, uh, used from Intel's FSP binary. So uh, Google, at that point, was you know, content with uh, core boot running, uh, even though they're using that binary. And we're just digging levels deeper. So for us, uh, we're looking at uh, having our solution in parallel. Uh, there's actually three parallel paths. The first is communicating to Intel our intent and what we want. And then they in turn actually share documentation, you know, BIOS writing uh, documentation, uh, so that we we can start to find, oh, you know, maybe there is something actually within the existing documentation that nobody's been able to really uh, exploit. Such an example as the uh, being able to disable the management engine from uh, NVRAM fuses on the CPU. So those are um, some things that Intel is helping with. Oh, uh, meaning so the providing the, documentation. the fusing
0: the fusing tip came from Intel's documentation.
5: That's correct. Oh, Absolutely. okay. Yes. So, so that's one where by having an account manager and having access to documentation allows us to have more knowledge than, let's say, just you know uh, someone else just trying to you know plunk away and hack or reverse engineer or yeah. try to trigger th- figure things out that way. Up, so, uh, and their their documentation, Intel's documentation is immense, right? So. Um, uh, so we have a lot that we can end up doing that way. That's the first avenue. That's basically working with Intel, saying, hey, you know, you're not the enemy, right? We we want to continue to use your hardware. Uh, we want to purchase from you, but these are the goals that we want. Then the second option is, you know, that, that uh, we, by using the documentation, uh, find our own way to, you know, either modify code or disable the ME. One of the nice things here is that it's not actually hostile towards Intel because we're not trying to reverse engineer and release like a management engine replacement, right? What we're trying to do is just not use it, period. So that's uh, not a hostile uh, relationship with Intel to go down that path. And then the third path, of course, is is looking at alternatives. Right? Do we end up wanting to use AMD, or do we want to actually scrap it and go to something that's really low powered? Um, so with AMD's talk, that ends up helping us with the leverage where we could possibly switch to AMD or uh, continue to talk with Intel about uh, you know about switching. Hmm. So um, so I am very optimistic because uh, you know I get to read through the documentation on you know. The ME Design for BIOS Writing Guide. It's a you know 192 page document. So Intel has very deep knowledge and and documentation on on areas that you'd be really surprised about. So, um, so that to answer your question uh, is that Intel is I'm very optimistic because Intel has been helpful uh, in providing documentation and the long term game it might very well be that. They don't put out an emulous design and we end up finding it something ourselves through their documentation or maybe in you know a much later version that they say that there is a market demand for that and then they then they offer that up to so other I manufacturers. Guess,
0: Todd, here's what I here's, – here's the pessimist in me because I see – it almost feels like two scenarios. Scenario one is uh, a triumphant – Arrival at some solution that uh, essentially gives people the ability to use Libreboot to bypass and disable Intel Management Engine, and and everybody's happy. Less blobs, everybody's happy. Uh, but all of that work will just quickly be snapped up by vendors like System76 and Introware, and so uh, there won't be a there won't be a market advantage that lasts very long. So that's scenario one. Oh, yeah. Scenario so two, though, but scenario two would be that Intel just decides to do this, and then everybody gets it. And uh, market advantage is also lost there. So what's the what's the upside for uh, purism long term here?
5: Right. So there's a couple of pieces. So first of all, you have to be running Coreboot. Um, so if your machine's not ported to Coreboot, then you're then you have to do that port. So it's not like uh, by us disabling the ME. Okay. And right, that you, you that still seems have to that seems
0: that would be within the range of other OEMs or the, especially those that are getting more serious about their own manufacturing. It seems like that could be within their capability.
5: Oh yeah, absolutely. They would just need to say, "I'm going to invest and actually have that ported." So that's that's step one. Um, But of course, right now you're there. There isn't everybody's using uh, EFI or UFI except uh, except Chromebooks, right? So uh, or you know pre two thousand eight machines, right? Libreboot boot based machines. Yeah. So um, so that is obviously an advantage that we would end up having over others is that we're investing in that space to have a really depth of credibility on the security side of things. That's true. Yeah. So, so then, so that's, you know, point one. So, but yes, if system 76 or, or or even, you know, let's say Dell decided, Hey, you know what? We, we don't like all these threats coming in from vault seven where all of our machines are gutted because it's an EFI threat that they could end up putting uh, core boot on at that point. Then they would still be using uh, the default installs from Intel then they would have to actually go through the fuses that we have. And, of course, we'll publish what, you know, fuses we're targeting because it actually helps users. So uh, so then it would basically – they would be paying, playing catch-up. But the question is, are they going to want to have the same depth of credibility that we have? If they're installing Windows, the depth of credibility is completely pointless. Right. Yeah, I mean it seems uh, like
0: and, you – yeah, I guess you, your point there is by, by trudging this journey, you'll establish the Purism brand as sort of being like the – not only one of the first on the scene with it, but also – Having expertise with it, which is obviously going to give it some credibility. So, I, I guess, I guess that is a good point. But what about if Intel just decides to play ball? Do you feel like that's still a net win for purism?
5: I do, and the reason is because then it actually allows the users to control it, which would be that the ME is going to be on by default. That's just how it's going to be. So, uh, uh, you know, a manufacturer or a reseller who has access to being able to uh, fuse a CPU. Um, would be able to. So our pro- proposal to Intel is actually to opt to add one of the fuses that we get as a manufacturer because we get the CPUs in manufacturing mode. So then we have the capabilities to fuse the CPU. And right now we have 14 fuses that we can fuse. And I, we're saying make a 15th fuse that allows us to actually disable the ME and you can ship it where they'll be, you know, that it can be fused by default, but we can, we can excuse me, it'll have the ME by default. And then we can fuse the CPU during the fabrication process to disable the ME. And then that's all we need. So Mm. in that case, then, you know, it it accomplishes a few things. The first is that uh, we would then have a CPU that from Intel, that's Intel-supported, that would allow us to be able to disable at the lowest level a core that we don't need. The second piece is then uh, it doesn't change that for any of their other... uh, um, Buyers, right? Yeah. Because they would they would get what they had to begin yeah. with, and then, and right they then.
0: likely would not be all that encouraged or motivated to make a change, like going back to Lenovo or somebody, because they'd yeah, already exactly. be pushing
5: this if they were. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Okay, that's a that makes sense. All right, wow. Okay, well, I'm glad you guys I'm glad you guys are working on this uh, because you know I go back going back to Wimpy. I, I imagine Wimpy, your goal here is to have something that's sort of a unique, fully open source, stacked machine, right? Are you going to put like Triskel on this thing, or what's what's your plan, Wimpy?
3: it was shipped with Triscoll 7.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
3: Neat. Yeah. Are
0: you going to keep yeah. it or is this a Matei test machine? Like what's going on here, Wimpy? What's your uh, what's your uh, and why? Why this machine?
3: It's it's a curiosity. Okay. Um, you know, I as we said earlier, you know, there's some bitcoin value at the moment, and there are some unusual items floating around and this was one of them. And I was interested to have one of these and actually have a poke around with it. And actually yeah. retrofitting, you know, the, the core boot, Libre boot on these devices is no, is non-trivial. Oh. So I wanted to have a play uh, and see what it can do and what it's doing. Well, the first thing I've noticed is it boots very fast. That that <laughs> initialization piece is I bet. shockingly quick. <laughs> I, so it makes that old machine seem quite pokey I've heard by that. comparison.
0: Yeah, I've heard that. I've I've had the same curiosity as you. Um, And so is this... Uh, is that is the end goal here to uh experiment with uh just the just the, the process? Uh yeah, it's just it's just another interesting bit of
3: technology I'd oh. like to learn more about. Uh and I've had a helping hand in that I haven't had to um uh wrestle uh the laptop open and um put it under my rather dodgy soldering skills. Oh. Somebody else has done that yeah, for me. Is nice. it an SSD? Yeah, so it's been refurbished. So they, they've uh, fitted it with uh, a Qualcomm Atheros uh, wireless N card and a Samsung 850 256 gig, and it's got eight, 8 gigs of RAM in it as well. So it's like a full… So not bad. Not it's not actually bad all. All. So yeah. Laptop.
0: It's actually sounds like laptop.
3: Yeah, if you actually, uh, I bet if it's want not- a new laptop, Wes, I could… Uh- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet you the performance is not that bad. It's actually very decent. It's actually very decent. Yeah, and I've got a, I've got a, a, uh, an X201, which I've had for a while. So I, I, I know how to compare the performance, you know, because the 201s one's a little bit newer. Right. Um, and, yeah, the thing that surprised me, because it's obviously got the SSD in it, is just how quick the machine comes on and actually starts booting. So it comes up fast, but it's just not having to sit around and wait around for, for the BIOS and EFI to, to happen. It's very quick.
4: But it is still a Core 2 Duo, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've not done much with it. Like I say, I've literally turned it on, been impressed by the boot speed and done the updates on the box. I've not actually tried to use it for anything serious yet. but I'll get to that.
0: Huh. I, I kind of want to check back in if I remember. Yeah. I won't be here next week. Oh, I won't be. Yeah, so I'm going to be on the road next week. I think we're going to. I don't know who's going to guest. I haven't. I haven't. Ooh, we get to find out. Yeah, so much going on. I haven't. It might just be West. So everybody show up in the mumble room. Everybody, everybody will have up. a lot of fun. However, I do have this computer set up, so if we do have uh, a guest, they'll be able to call in and they'll be able to talk to mumble. We'll be able to hear them. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We may have a surprise guest host next week, but maybe in a couple of weeks I'll check in, Wimpy, and, and see what you think. I think that. I think that's okay. A, I think well, that's I'll a good. Tell
3: I think we may talk about it on the Ubuntu podcast oh. so you can uh, you surprise. can have a listen there.
0: Surprise. Go find Wimpy surprise, over there. Surprise. And also uh Popey's on there so you can find Popey also but he's not here today. Uh yeah, the Ubuntu podcast. A uh, one of the one of the podcasts I am subscribed to. You can also Joe, Joe is on Linux Late Night Linux. I almost call it Linux After Dark again cuz I keep thinking of the screensaver, yeah, don't right? do that again, man. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's a great show too. So uh, go subscribe to that as well. Uh, it turns out, it turns out, despite what might be going on with those guys over at Linux Action Show. can't trust them. Don't trust those guys. The Unplugged show is sticking around. We're here. So we'll, we'll we're be here. here. I might not be here, but we'll, well all be here, here next
1: week. And, uh, it's a community. Mm-hmm. That's what makes sense. So I,
0: I, you know, I thought about trying to join in Mumble, but I, I was looking at the timing for next week. Yeah. And uh, I just. You'll be driving like a madman. I think it's going to be like peak driving. I think Ooh. it's going to be like an 11-hour day for me driving. Well, Dylan's coming along, right? Just pop him up at the wheel. Yeah. Well, Hadiah offered, like, oh, I could drive for a bit. And I'm like, yeah. You know, the, the thing is, is it's not just driving. It's like then you don't know where you're going to be reception wise yeah, either because yeah. you're moving so much. So I just feel like I would be. Yeah, oh, we're in the be past not now. A show from a car, man. That would be uh, unbelievable, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, no, never. That would never happen, Joe. That would never happen. That's unheard <laughs> of. Somebody joins from a car, never. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the chat was like, hey, by the way, mumbles on Android. So we'll see what happens. But I think we'll, something, something, something will happen next week. You just got to tune and find out. We'll keep it fresh. There will be a show. There will be a show as long as these guys can figure out how to turn
1: on the studio, which I think you've got. I think you got it. I just stroked the beard, the magic beard, and everything comes on.
0: <laughs> uh, when I asked the beard about it, he said, yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, the show might just be late. Yeah, that sounds, <laughs> that's what he said. That
1: sounds, that's, that's <laughs> yep,
0: exactly. I'm like, okay. He's well, a realist, that one. That's fine, I suppose. <laughs> that really is fine. He's, you tune in over Live jblive.tv and you don't have to worry about it. You just get to watch the show go down. And I know it won't be here to bail you guys out either because he's going be to be flying to Austin. Fly, right? Yeah. So we're going to be in Tejas meeting up with Dell. I wonder if they'll have any XPS 15s in the lab that I can yeah. check out. Go find it. Mean, if
1: you see one in the hallway, just snag it for yeah, me. Yeah,
0: man. Totally. All right. Well, that does bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Unplugged program. Thank you for joining us. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get our live time in your local time of the neck of the woods thing. Time zone thing. Also juba slash contact for feedback. LinuxActionShow at reddit.com for potential updates and projects. Ooh. Yeah. Join us live in the mumble room too. Get information in our chat room. See you next week. Well they will. I'm out of here. See you guys!
5: Canonical, a lesson.
0: Ba-ba-dop, ba-ba-dop. All right, so jbtitles.com, let's go do our title thing. Now, I know that uh, Nick Lobb, who I almost wanted to call Nick Bob in the show, had a question regarding the Intel Management Engine, probably for Todd. So, Nick, go ahead. Are you, I saw you asking. You get first go. Hey,
1: Hello. Thanks for having me Hello. Um, Todd left, actually,
2: just a second ago. So oh,
0: <laughs> he oh, he did? Oh, was it for him? Okay. Well, thanks, yeah. Todd, for joining us. Goodbye, Todd! We appreciate it. Maybe it was our sick tunes drove him away. Jail That Whale. What's that a reference to? Oh, the Docker stuff? Yep. That's pretty good, it too. That's pretty good. Uh, boot Free or Die Trying. That was yeah, my oh, suggestion. Oh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> How rowdy of you. Mm. Mm. Who should I have a uh, guest co-host next week? Who should I ask? Because obviously I can't make them do it. Right. But who should I invite?
5: Oh, Here's I an idea, it. Dan Lantell. Hey, all me
0: Sweet little years. I, just I want to take sweet little. I put in my lap. I want to <laughs> yeah. pet him right now. Yeah.
1: Ask Chase just to throw it as a wild card. I feel like I I feel like I could ask Joe, but I feel
0: like that's a lot asking. That's a lot of Joe. I mean, that's asking a lot of Joe. But yeah, that would be good. That would be good for people to get to meet Joe. That's a good mix it up. Have Michael.
4: I'd have to uh, not be in my
0: car, but I could uh, work something out. Yeah, we don't want to impose too much on you. So, I have Skype set up here, and Joe could call it. All right, yeah. I like this, Joe. <laughs> He's going to throw you under the bus, and I'm going to go with it. Joe, if you're down for it, boy, that sure uh, solves my problem yeah. right there. And I actually yeah, probably is a good chance for the JB Honest to get to meet you Heck more. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, can,
4: uh, I can talk about how great um, DigitalOcean is, like, and honestly, to be honest. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I, I that helps. I
0: heard the read in uh, the plug for the uh, affiliate in uh, Late Night Linux in it. Yeah. It's legit.
4: Yeah, man, I've been using them for years and uh, happy with them.
0: All right, awesome. Well, that's awesome, Joe. Thank you. All right, so I'll just—you can just be able to Skype to Jupiter Broadcasting, and and Wes, you'll be able to just. Should I think I'll set it to automatically log in? Uh, Yeah, that's it. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Thank you, guys. Well, that's that's excellent. And Wimpy, I'm glad right, you're I'm
3: officially Joe's agent now. Yeah, and right? All, <laughs> all financial tractions are, uh, transactions, I'm taking 20%. I'm
0: rep- representing... Whoa, there's Skype. There's Skype. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to log into Skype. I'm going to turn off all of the notifications for you right now, Wes. I appreciate I'm that. I'm going to hook you up with that. Most. Yeah. <laughs> I hate those so much. And Wimpy, I owe you a beer or two, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's you... Beer's that
1: me... only redeemable at Linux Fest Northwest. I'm, I'm gonna ex-
3: pull my finger out and sort my travel out this weekend and boy. I'll, I'll be in touch.
1: Add a yeah. boy,
0: Add a boy, yeah.